All I remember was the silence in the car and a hope that grew more distant by the minute that we would find Sheila, the missing dog. The crack of another Schlitz broke the silence as we turn around and head back to camp. Man, I don't know if we're ever going to see that dog again, I thought. The road back out of there can be glorious at times. Something about rubber on red dirt is just magical. But Chad's car barely had the right clearance, and he scraped the underbelly of that little Honda box more than once. Just don't hit the oil pan, I thought. It would be messy in a long walk back to camp. But we arrived back, back to the Super Bowl, back to the crew, and they read the news of disappointment on our faces. Sheila was still missing. Welcome to episode one of season two of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast. I am Luke Mihal. Couldn't be more excited to be back with y'all. I'd like to start off by thanking everyone who listened to season one and gave us positive feedback. There was um, several very nice notes that I got um, via Instagram messages or emails and just know I appreciate every one of those um, and I try to respond to everyone but obviously in this modern day age uh, as a publisher I just get buried with emails and messages but just know if you sent me a message I really really appreciate it. Season two we are going to dive into The Desert, a dirtbag climbing book. It was published in 2018 and it kind of covers 20 years of adventures in what we just kind of refer to as the desert. Uh, But generally it's the Colorado Plateau. And then if anyone who follows me knows I am absolutely in love with Indian Creek and the land that is Bears Ears National Monument that hopefully will be. Um, This book really dives into every aspect of the climbing experience out there. And I hope really just shows my love for this place and how it's transformed my life. And it's a love affair that still continues to this day. Season two is brought to you by Black Diamond and Osprey Packs. Super psyched to have them on board and sponsors of the podcast. And Edelrid has actually sponsored the bonus episodes too that we're going to be running. We ran several bonus episodes with season one. And we're going to be doing the same thing with season two. And as I always say, the number one way to support the climbing zine and to support the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast is to subscribe, pick up some merch. You can find the link in our show notes to do so. And without further ado, let's get into our very first episode for season two. There was an energy to that crowbar in my hand. I was walking alone, down from a cliff. The mission was simple, and it was to retrieve that crowbar, a five-pound piece of metal. When I held it in my hand, I felt violent, and I wished I could use it for good. New rooting had turned me into a madman, a man obsessed. I was obsessed with newness, crisp edges, trundling, creative artistic license, cracks that had never seen the touch of a human hand obsessed with the lines I'd seen that were unclimbed. I made my mind up that I, or my close friends, had to be the ones to establish them. The crowbar was a useful tool for this endeavor, prying loose rocks off gently, or not so gently. It wasn't any sort of manifest destiny bullshit. 
That was actually what I was so angry about then, right at the beginning of the Trump era. Our mission was one of spirit, not extraction. It was just a feeling, a feeling that this was our time and we had to seize it. These lines were all over the desert, the Colorado Plateau, the closest rock climbing in the United States would ever be to infinite. Of course it wasn't. If we know anything about Mother Nature by now, she only has so much to give, and we are taking more than she has to offer. That's the cool thing about unclimbed lines, though. They're already there. We simply open them. And the reality was, nobody seemed to care. We didn't have any competition. No one else, armed with a drill, bolts, brushes, and a crowbar, was around where we were. But still, the first ascensionist knows a paranoia, that even though you discovered something, maybe someone else had as well. It all seemed too good to be true, but it was true, and it was real. I reveled in each and every new route, and the smaller the team was, the less of the roar of human beings were present, the more the moment seemed to be at hand. And the closer the moment is at hand in climbing, the more complete and whole it is, as if you're closer to God. It's funny that we have to teach ourselves to be in the moment in this modern world, I just think the modern world is oh so boring most of the time. The sharp end was where I felt the most in the moment. I hiked to one new wall we'd been establishing to get the crowbar and planned to hike it up to another later that morning for use in another climb I was working on. I needed some alone time too. I had anger flowing through my veins. Trump had just been elected president. The pendulum of American politics had swung back off the rails back into open white supremacy, open misogyny, simple-minded, ignorant thinking, with just a little help from the Russian government to close the deal. The devil won the election, with fewer votes than his opponent. That five-pound crowbar swung back and forth as I hiked out. As the desert does, I sank into the recesses of my imagination. I imagined coming across some white trash piece of shit wearing one of those fucking MAGA hats. A showdown would happen. The crowbar would be my weapon. As if a crowbar would be worth shit in a cowboy showdown here in the desert. As if any sort of showdown would actually happen in the desert at this time. It was 2016, not 1916. And as if the poor white trash was my real enemy. He was not. I started talking to myself in a conversation with myself. Get a gun if you really want to be a Wild West cowboy. Why don't you get your shit together, man? I thought you were a peace-loving hippie. I was approaching camp now. The crowbar swung slowly, back and forth, back and forth, in my calloused hands. I was expecting camp to be empty by now, desperate for another hour of solitude, before I rejoined the crew at the wall. It wasn't, and I locked eyes with a tall, blonde man. It was Quinn, my friend. Not exactly a close friend, but a friend, a member of the climbing crew. Hey, Luke, how's it going? He said. Oh, good, good, man, I mumbled, not fully out of my trance of anger and solitude. A quiet settled over us. A tumbleweed may have slowly passed by in the light wind. Ten minutes went by as Quinn set up camp, and I fumbled through my climbing gear and got ready for another hike. Then Quinn came over to me. Hey, man, is it cool that I'm here? I mean, I know this is your new area. Oh, no, man, I said, sort of relieved that he'd sense my internal anguish. 
it's cool. I'm just, you know, upset about the election. I felt a little awkward and ashamed that I didn't make him feel more welcome. No climbing area belongs to one person, at least not in the American West. It's all public land. After all, this is where we go to get away from it all, for me at least. This was our own personal paradise. With some friends, some food, and some water, some climbing gear, I had everything that I needed here, and I wanted my friends to feel that way too. I thought more about this than what I actually said. Soon there was enough silence piled up that I had to say something. So I just said, fuck it, dude, let's go climbing. I don't even know if I really said that, but I do know we did say fuck it, and we did go climbing. This episode is sponsored by Osprey. Osprey and the climbing zine share the same backyard. Located just down the road from Durango and Cortez, Osprey makes innovative, high-performance gear that reflects a love of adventure and devotion to the outdoors. High-quality packs for any adventure and season. We are proud to share a home with Osprey here in the Four Corners region of Southwest Colorado. And to find out more, visit Osprey.com. This episode is also sponsored by Black Diamond. Another longtime sponsor of the climbing zine, Black Diamond is all about climbing, skiing, and mountains. And, of course, the desert. Black Diamond camelots are an essential ingredient for heading up any splitter. From the new 7 and 8 C4s to the new Z4s, you can never have too many camelots in the creek. But once your Creek 50 backpack fills up, might as well hand the rest of the rack to your buddy to carry up. To find out more, visit BlackDiamondEquipment.com. This is the most beautiful place on earth. But of course, like Cactus Ed Abbey said, every person carries in their heart an image of the ideal place, the right place. This is just the right place for me. But right now, something is not right. And it's pitch black, no beauty to be seen. Chad and I have been rolling this little Honda boxcar all over these desert roads for hours now, searching for his missing dog, yelling, Sheila, Sheila. Sheila, only to hear the wind replying. Chad is a war hero. He lost part of his leg in service to our country in Iraq. He's a climber with one full leg, a below-the-knee amputee. He has celebrity status in the community. But that was all later down the road, after he climbed El Cap and Mount Everest. This was before all that. Then, and now... Chad is just another climbing buddy to me. Most of the time, no disrespect, he seems incredibly normal. This moment, in the dark of the night, was sort of normal to us. Just a couple of guys in the middle of nowhere, Utah, looking for a lost dog. Sheila may not have even made a full meal for a mountain lion. Surely too small to be asked to join the pack of coyotes we hear but rarely see. I'm not even sure when the last time a mountain lion rolled through these parts. I've lived amongst the mountain lions for years, but I've never seen one. I can only suspect 
that they are there. The only things more mysterious than the mountain lion are the spirits, the original inhabitants of this land, back when you could grow corn here. Come to think of it though, the spirits seem closer than the lions. Why else would we be drawn here over and over again? Why else would something so meaningless as inching up maroon sandstone walls become so meaningful? I crack another beer. The silence is deafening. Sheila! Chad screams. Sheila! He's hard to read, but I can tell he's worried. He probably feels guilty. He clearly loves this little dog. The moon dictates the light at night here in the desert, where cell phones don't work and the television is a campfire. Lukewarm beer on dirt country roads has long been a favorite pastime. Sure, it may be technically illegal, but there'd never be funding to police all the dirt country roads in this country. So I think enjoying this pastime of a beer and dirt is an American right. Dirt don't hurt. Benign civil disobedience. This beer wasn't so enjoyable. I was worried about Sheila and how the coyotes might treat her. Surely they don't realize we are trying to live in a just, respectful country here. They are coyotes, and they don't give a fuck about America. Thus, in our cars, we were trying to see out into the hidden desert world, and that world can never be seen from a metal box. This was all we thought we could do at the time, drive around and yell from a car. So American of us. Chad wasn't telling war stories, or any stories really. He's a good storyteller, long and drowned out, like Grandpa. A slow draw. He's a Jack Mormon, I guess, but don't let me label him. I just knew he grew up Mormon, but seems to live by his own rules now, and interacts with us heathens, like us climbers. I've heard the story about how he lost his leg a dozen times by now around the campfire. When forced with the prospect of amputation, he decided to go for it. Did he rather use a prosthetic than have a useless limb? The decision seemed to pay off for him. He had a climbing leg, a running leg, shit, the guy even had a party leg, a wooden peg leg. One of his legs, I forget which one, even had a flask built into it. Chad was clearly affected by this and by war. He drank away his sorrows, but shit, many climbers drank as much or more than him, and then it never went away to war, so who knows. He seemed to have a small tick, barely noticeable. With long hair and a beard, he looked like more of an attendee of Woodstock than a veteran of a foreign war. In a culture where weed is more prevalent than tobacco, a cigarette often dangled from his lips. All I remember was silence in the car and a hope that grew more distant by the minute that we would find Sheila. The crack of another Schlitz broke the silence as we turn around and head back to camp. Fuck, man. I don't know if we'll ever see that dog again, I thought. The road back out of there can be glorious at times. There's something about rubber on red dirt that's just magical. But Chad's car barely had the right clearance as he scraped the underbelly of that little Honda box more than once. Just don't hit the oil pan, I thought. It would be messy in a long walk back to camp. But we arrived back, back to the Super Bowl campsite, back to the crew, and they read the news of disappointment on our faces. Sheila was still missing. The next day, Chad went back out searching for Sheila while we searched for cracks to climb. His terrain to search was vast and desolate, a setting of surreal colors, plants, and rocks. If you've never been to Indian Creek, Mars might be a good comparison because no other place on earth really compares to the Colorado Plateau. I didn't go with Chad that day, but I know what he saw. 
towering behind the south six-shooter is the north six-shooter, which is really packing heat, standing taller and prouder than its mini-me, a 300-foot-tall pillar, the most singular and impressive of all the sandstone formations in Indian Creek. That's the obvious formation, the one that will make the magazine cover or the Instapost on Monday. The subtle beauty is harder to see, and it doesn't really care if you see it or not. It's just surviving in the desert, like everything else. I'm no scientist. I'm just a poet. But it seems like from what I hear, the life depends on the cryptobiotic soil, the chunky black layer that lives on the surface and provides nutrients. Don't bust the crust, is what they say, so we avoid stepping on that black gold at all costs. The cows, which usually outnumber the humans in these parts, again, like the coyotes, they don't give a fuck about America, and they bust the crust all day long. That karma is on you, cows. But we eat the cows, so I guess all crusts busted by cows is crusts busted by man as well. If I could be transported to any time period to see how people lived off the land, I'd like to see this landscape a thousand or so years ago as the ancestral Puebloans saw it when they could hunt game, grow corn, and had access to clean water here. When they created the rock art, the pictographs and petroglyphs that we still marvel at today. What lives did they lead and how often did they smile? Were they free and how did they talk? Were they as enraptured with this landscape as I am? Or was it simply home, just a place to survive? I don't have the luxury of returning to that time period, so I guess my imagination will have to suffice. And I think this engagement of imagination is one reason this land has to be preserved, as it is. Well, maybe other land. Some say the national parks and monuments were America's greatest idea. I don't know what that means for the other land of leftovers with little protections or regulations, like this land was up until recently. The ranchers and the miners were here before us. Miners searching for uranium to make a buck so that we could build atomic bombs for World War II. I don't know how much they found in Indian Creek, a wasteland of sandstone cactuses and wind. The ranchers seemed to have a better go of it. And long before any modern climber stepped foot on Wingate, the ranchers had set down their roots and made this place home. I'm trying to get an imaginary whiff of sage and juniper here to reminisce a little more. Trying to see the cactus flowers in bloom, when I know as I'm writing this they are not currently flowering. Hearing the piercing screech of a falcon, protecting territory, or their young, flying faster than any bird on the planet, damn near 200 miles an hour. Stepping in cow shit, god damn it. Better than crypto, don't bust the crust, man. Not a bad mantra. It's not how you leave your mark in this desert anymore. It's how you don't leave your mark. But I'm not one of those leave-no-tracers either. That's bullshit. And all those folks driving their SUVs to the hiking trail anyway leaving the carbon footprint that's oh so hard to see. Our trace is inevitable. To err is human. We seem to be a doomed human race right about now. But still, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. For some reason, it all feels right out here. The cell phone is turned off. Red dirt, red rock, and a blue sky. A simple formula to feel simple again. The mind isn't racing with thoughts of presidential decisions, deadlines, or to-dos. The to-do is simple, and it is to be. Still, I doubt Chad was memorized by much of that this day. I bet he just wanted Sheila to come back. 
to see that little pup come running, scared and excited, into his arms. But mile by mile, inch by inch, of searching led to nothing. Chad returned to camp that night again, with only a look on his face revealing the results of his searching. Sunday had arrived, and it was time to go back home, to leave our treasured sanctuary and return to the grind. Chad wasn't giving up on his search for Sheila, but the longer Sheila was gone, the longer we knew that the odds weren't in her favor. We heard the howling of coyotes at night. We felt the late November chill in our bones. I was returning to my gig as a wordsmith in Gunnison, Colorado. Despite my bark as a beatnik and a descendant of Ed Abbey's, I had no bite. My job was in public relations for a liberal arts college. I sat at a desk in front of a computer and crafted stories in the manner advised from the higher ups. The voice of the pen was not my own. The poet and rebel within me had been tamed, waiting for the day when he could be released into the wild again. I deferred my version of the American dream. The desert had delivered on its promise I'd stored in the recesses of my mind, though. I left home feeling tired and depressed, and now five days later, I left the desert renewed. I played in the dirt, used my muscles, slept in a tent, and I felt like a new man. As we drove out of there, I would have been on cloud nine, but I thought of that poor little dog, surely dead, meeting an early demise because it got caught up in the world of climbers. The drive back to Gunny lasted into the night, turning the pleasant cap of the weekend into deer dodging. Monday morning would be coming too soon. That was the truth. At least I would be sore and satisfied while I sat at my desk, I thought. I showered, ate some pasta, and went to bed. Around midnight, my flip phone was buzzing, and it awoke me. It was a text. It was Chad. Just as he was getting ready to call the search and head home that night, he'd crawled back into his car. And what did he see? Sheila had crawled in after three days and two nights on the loose, safe and sound. That, my friends, is the magic of the desert. That was episode one of season two of the Dirtbag State of Mind podcast. Thanks for listening along. We're going to be reading The Desert. If this is popping up on your feed, enjoy it. Be sure to go back to season one. And we got like 30 episodes in season one. And episodes one through 19 are me reading American Climber. We're going for the same style this season with The Desert. Music from this episode is brought to you by Devin Dabney. Devin is a senior contributor to the climbing zine. He's a brilliant writer. He's a musician. He's a rapper and just a great thinker and a really great dude. I really got to know Devin um, over the last few months, just cooking up ideas and um, one of the best climbing poets out there as well. And we're super grateful for him to uh, contribute some beats and some tunes to this entire season. Our digital editor and producer is Chad Rich. 
and Chad's back for this second season. He's been a huge instrumental part to this podcast, and we are very grateful for Chad as well. This is Luke Mehal, publisher of The Climbing Zine, host of the podcast, and we're coming at you from beautiful Durango, Colorado. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.